You know, I would appreciate it. So I'm, I'm based out of London, but, you know, we, we got people from all over the world who watch who watch halftime chat. So it's really it's really going to be good to, to hear from you and stuff. Um, okay, you know, so all good. Yeah. So, I mean, for my viewers, I, I mean, I would remember in high school, you know, listening to you guys. And now I went to high school in, in, in Africa, in Nigeria, and you wow. guys were... You guys were popular out there, you know, with um, One Love and Friends and Freaks Come At Night. So, you, you know, sometimes you might be in New York thinking we're cool around New York, but you've reached, you've gone all the way to Africa back in the 80s. So a lot of hip hop mm. artists don't do that now, but I always like to go to the beginning, you know, and especially starting with you. Um, yes. How did you get into, wh wh where exactly are you from and how did you get into music? <clears throat> All right, um, originally from Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And um, I was introduced to hip hop back in the days, they called it rap. I was introduced to it in 1977, my first year of high school. I moved from Brooklyn, New York to um, a place called Roosevelt Island. And my freshman year of high school, we would go around 12 noon become lunchtime and we would go in the lunchroom, have lunch and we have like maybe 20 minutes left on the clock. We would go into a room called the spark room and they would be in there playing cards or playing spades, you know, spades and backgammon. Yes. And um, that's when they had a big radio in there and I was like, yo, who brings a radio to school? And they're not <laughs> saying anything. And I heard this sound going, Yes, yes, y'all. We like our sound, sound, loud, loud, and clear, clear, clear. This is DJ, J, J, Africa, Africa, bam, bam, bada, 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 and the mighty Zulu, Zulu, Zulu. I was like, yo, what is that? What is that? And one of my partners who I met in my freshman year, his name was Ski Jump. He was a, a break dancer and he was also a rapper. He said, yo, that's rap. That's rap. Wow. And um, they had cassettes at the time. They were playing cassettes. And um, once my ear heard it, man, I fell in love with it from that day on. I mean, prior to that, what were you listening to? Because you're talking 77. That's really old. That's really a different era from, you know, and I think. Yes, from hip hop. Yeah. It, it was a new beginning. So back then, what I was listening to was, you know, my mother coming up in the family that liked music. My mother would play blues like B.B. King and uh, Bobby Blue Band. But we also had, coming from Brooklyn, every Saturday morning, we would look at Soul Train. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We had Soul Train with Don Cornelius. So that's how we knew about dance steps and, and what new dances was coming out. But not only that, we had a station in New York called WWRL. And they would play all the top, R&B hits, like from mm -hmm. Al Green to Barry White to James Brown to Joe Tex and Earth, Wind and & Fire and, and Cool in the Gang. So that grabbed me as knowing about music before hip-hop and before rap. Yeah. So yeah. I already had an ear for music and good music, funky music, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when you did hear African Bombarda, what, what did you think? Did you think, what, did, what was your thoughts? You know... Uh, listening to the music, I mean, the, the they were playing breakbeats at the time, and they would rap over the breakbeats. So um, you might have heard a song like um, 
the pointer sisters. Yes, we can, can. Yeah. And they will loop that beat back and forth, scratch it and, and cut it wow. up back and forth, and they would rap over the top of it. Or, or a song like Herman Kelly, Dance to the Drummer's Beat. But um, hearing it for the first time, it was just like a new wave. You know, it's just like, just like preparing yourself for Michael Jackson new single or new video. Wow. But um, back then they didn't have videos at that coming out at the time. Yeah. So they were just street rappers playing in the park or playing in in, in little hole in the walls. Yeah. So um, hearing that and hearing Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, <laughs> and hearing the um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the Fantastic Romantic Five with Grand Wizard Theodore, you know, those was people that was coming straight out of, you know, they, them same guys was in high school at the time or or were, were just um, coming off the streets. Wow. So the, the, and you know, at that time, we were playing, I mean, other DJs and MCs were playing in the park. So I was just getting the wind of it. So I wanted to be a part of it because it was like a new wave. Yeah. And, and, and at that time, were, were you thinking about actually starting to create your own craft as a rapper? Or what was your yeah. thought? Yeah. Man, I, I wanted to be a rapper. And I wound up rapping before I became a DJ. But yeah. just by hearing it, I had to go see this. I had to see it live because I'm hearing it on tape, but I want to see this live. So yeah. my brothers that was in my class or the couple of brothers I met that was in my school would give me flyers or when the next jam was going to be. And I'll be like, I didn't care if I came from Queens. I went to the Bronx, T-Connection, Harlem World, just to go and see these guys. I wanted to see it live. And um, to my attention, it, it was like, this is what I want to do. I know my dream was to be an NBA basketball player. Oh. But, you know, I was good in ball. And, um, yeah, yeah, that was my dream. And um, the rap scene came in and... I, I ran with it, man. And um, uh, Pioneer passed away, a good friend of mine. He's an icon. Uh, Master Don from the Death Committee. He wound up being in my class that next year, and he showed me the ropes of the turntables. And it was another brother I met, may he rest in peace, was Wizkid. You wow. remember the song, Play That Beat? Wanted to yeah. play for me, Mr. Yeah. DJ. Yeah, he was another brother that showed me the ropes about the turntables. And right after that, I said, I forget about rapping and said, I want to be a DJ now. Okay. Now, yeah. just to go back, you did mention that you wanted to get into the NBA. Were you really good at what you were doing or was it just you enjoyed basketball? I mean, what nah, was... I was I, I was good at, at what I did, you know, at playing ball. I was a point guard. Wow. You know, I was I was a great penetrator and, and, and I was a good player that liked to dish the ball. And, you know, I had, I had a decent game, a, a real decent game. And, um, once the rap game came out, I said, forget about that. Uh, I'm going with this. <laughs> now, I mean, and I'm wondering, because back in those days, I mean, did did hip-hop, was it in a situation where it was making money that you could think, if I had to choose a career that I could possibly make a living out of, would you not have gambled at basketball more so than, than this new form of music that's not on TV? That was a, it was a it was a good thing. Um, that was a good good question you had to answer there because um, you got to look at it to make the NBA back then. You had to be at least six eight or six five. Okay. So okay. I figured you know at that time I ain't gonna make no NBA. Okay. You know at that time they they wanted okay. real tall guys at that time and and um I'm just in high school and um 
I'm just following the wave, you know. It's yeah. something that grabbed me. Like they said, when God places you, you belong there. Yeah. And God placed me there. But like you're saying, we didn't know this was going to turn into money. Everybody was doing this for free. They were making a little bit, bit of money doing shows in oh, these shows. little clubs or little little hole in the walls. But it wasn't that much money. Yeah. But yeah. Um, who would think it'll be a billion-dollar business right now? Oh, yeah, especially now. But back then, then, how, why did did you... Because I know with... Because um, I remember when hip-hop came to, to, to my school, there were people who could just write... But they couldn't couldn't flow with it. But then there are people who could flow, mm -hmm. but they needed somebody else to write. Did you try to rap and flow, and then you thought it wasn't working? Or because to turn to most people oh. want to be in front and say the words instead of instead of being at the back. So what made you make that transition? Um, you know, my friends that grew up with me too, they were saying a lot of times, "Yo, Drew, you just be looking at things and just start rapping to it." From the, I was good with top of my head. Okay. You know, um, anything I would see, I would just go on and off. I think or something, I would just come come up with something and, and rap about it. But um, once I seen DJs like, you know, the Grandmaster Flash and Grand Wizard Theodore, I said, um, I want to be a Grandmaster. And I, I just took it and, and started DJing. Uh, Master Don, like I said, he showed me the ropes. And I used to go to his house after school and he showed me the ropes about doing tricks and all that. And then... I started working after school and I said, man, I got to get me some turntables. Okay. And um, I got the, the one turntable. And at that time, I was like 16, 17, to the point when my mother said, I'll get you one. My mom's brought me one and I brought one and I brought the mixer and wow. I took it from there. And, and and it was good because I was going to school in Manhattan. A lot of my friends that was in my class or in the school, they come from Harlem. So they kept me up to date with all the break beats. And um, I had every break record just about that came out. And I was up, up on time with it and everything. And um, I just said, forget the rap. I just go, I'm going to DJ. Now, I, I, in my head, I can imagine the DJ is the person who can go to any party because they, you know, you, you can make a little bit more money back then as a DJ, parties and gigs. Was that on your, on your radar? You're thinking, or was it? What was it that enticed you about being a DJ? Yes. Man, uh, you know, being a DJ, I really felt if you was a DJ, you was like in charge. Yeah. You know, and um, you, you would call the shots, and um, to that point, I want because of the, everybody else had groups. So I wanted to perform across the bridge. They were playing music in Queensbridge. I know you probably hear about Nas mentioned Q. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. we used to play out here in the park. Yeah, yeah, it's right across the bridge from where I lived. We lived on a little island, but right across the bridge was Queensbridge. And I can hear them playing music like on, on a Saturday or something. We would go over there. And me going to Manhattan, I had all the break beats, and I used to see these DJs like the Disco Twins and and um, Dr. Bob Lee and Molly Marl was out there at the time too, and Cousin Bruce, different DJs was out there. Um, it, it made me want to get involved, and and going over there to play in Queensbridge was a beginning because people in Queens got a chance to hear me spin. Yeah, and um, they, they found out that I had skills, and it was like, yo, he lives across the bridge there. 
But you know, we formed the group, wound up forming a group called Grandmaster D and the Jazzy Four MCs. And um, one of the MCs had recorded a record with Molly Maul. Her name was Dimples D. Oh, female. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She made a record called Sucker DJs. Yeah, okay. and um, and then we we did fairly well. We know we started doing shows around local shows around the neighborhood. But right after that, I formed a group with two female Dimples D and Giggles G, and we opened up at Harlem World for the Fantastic Romantic Five Battle and the Cold Crush Brothers. And then after that, we we just slowed down, and everybody went their separate ways. And um, I wound up going to um, WHBI one time to um, visit Mr. Magic because I used to call the radio station all the time and he was the first to break rap on radio and I used to call him up and he said come on down and um, help me promote this show and it was a show with all Sugar Hill records at that time all the artists on the label and um, I went down there to get some flyers to help give them out and I wound up meeting Jalil you know master rapper Jalil and, and we connected we changed numbers and we kept in touch and that's when he told me he was forming a group and you know we all was in three different groups mm. and, and so from that point on me and him connected kept in touch him and X came by my crib and we talked about putting a group together but they already had a demo out for Mr. Magic Okay. and okay. from that point on um, we kept in touch and once they seen me spin they knew I had skills and um they put me part of the group. That was like in 82, 81, yeah, around 80, 81. Okay, I, I, think, I, think, I think the one thing I wanted to get back to is that, you know, first you were hooking up with female MCs. Was there a reason yes. why you, you were leaning towards them in those early days? Was My thing was, I wanted to hurry up and get a record out. Okay. That's okay. I, I was going to take anybody. We can get the record deal. Yeah, I was going to different record companies back then because it's not like today where you go on the internet and you got a record deal. You know, we had to go to record companies. They had record companies. You know, you would look at the album cover and see the, their address. Oh, yeah. And I would go up there with a demo tape. Yeah, I would go knock on their door with a demo tape and um, let them listen to it. And then they, you know, a lot of those labels, they were major labels, some of them, they were scared. They were scared to mess with rap. And then later on, everybody wanted to rap. Yeah, yeah. label. But, but back in those days, rap was very, it, was, it didn't, it wasn't hard. It was very, it was simple. It, I don't want to say simple, but I don't know. Apart from African Bombarda was, and Public Enemy, what was the content back in those days, especially with the, the, the group you, you know, guys had? I, I really felt back in those days, a lot of rappers was rapping about themselves. Yeah. You know, and, and, and um, that's all it was about to tell you how, how much rhymes they had, how much clientele they had. And um, that's what it was all about. It was all about promoting themselves and bigging themselves up and yeah. making themselves yeah. look big and making them look like they the baddest rapper in the world. And then what happened was a lot of the records that were coming out to me, felt, felt like it was underground. You know, the first record you, you hear, then you heard like um, Spoonie G and the Treacherous Three. They were great. That was with Kumo D. Yeah. And, and then you got to look at the Funky Four plus one more. They were great. Then you heard the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And then you heard the Disco Four. And 
those groups came out on Enjoy Records. To me, the first label really was pushing rap was Enjoy Records, but the first rap record was King Tim the Third, and he did that with the group called Fatback Band. Yeah. Okay. Okay, back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, but then mm -hmm. so back in those days, so you, so people were getting signed. From, from high school, you start to notice, well, people are getting signed so we can actually get ourselves a deal here. So it was about getting, packaging the right type of content together. When the theme, were you helping write any of the, the lyrics with, with the groups that you had in those early days? No, I left the, the lyrics to them. Yeah, I left the lyrics to them and, and um, I was just trying to create some beats and you know, at that time we had a little drum box and we had a little echo chamber, but um, I would leave the rapping to them and they would come up with routines. Okay. And you know, every rap group at that time had routines. You know, that's what made you look good. I mean, like the Funky Four and them, they had routines and, and the Cold Crush Brothers had routines that was out of this world. They would take a, 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 a television show and turn it into a routine. Like wow. Gilligan's Island, they would rap about it. But the, the Harmonize was Gilligan's Island. Or wow. they would rap about um, um, one of the other shows. Could have been the Brady Bunch. Could have been anything. But they would come with that that uh, um, that 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 feel of the TV show. Yeah. So then you go to. I mean, because when Sugar Hill Gang, it was was um, Curtis Blow. Was he already out by that time? By the time when you were searching your own deal? Yeah, yeah. Kurt was just was coming out now, and, I, and I, I give Kurt uh, a lot of credit. Because Kirk, to me, was, I looked at him as the first big rap star mm, yeah. that hit the mainstream. You know, I give Sugar Hill yeah. all the credit, but when I saw Curtis Blow, that made you want to go hard. Because Curtis yeah. Blow, he, he was like, he was the king of rap. Yeah, yeah. And he was on a major label. Wow. Polygram and Polydor, you know, that was a major label. Yeah. Mm hmm so that's when you thought, well, this can actually, we could really do something if we, if we, did. what was your thought that we have to hone our craft? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all we got to do is just come with something real. One of these companies are going to, going to want it because it's hot now. It's hot now. But, but you got to think about it. They wouldn't touch it on radio. So Mr. Magic deserves all the credit. May he rest in peace. He, he knocked the door down because he was the first to play rap. So he played every rap that came out. It, it would come across, wow. and you only can hear it at two o'clock in the morning. And um, yeah, two o'clock in the morning. And next thing you know, the, you know the other radio stations were like scared to touch rap. They would play the instrumental. <laughs> and, 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 yes, and two groups like uh, like Curtis Blow after a while, you know, that made you want to play it. Yeah. Or King Tim the Third, but. You got to look at when Sugar Hill broke the doors down, too, with Rappers Delight. That yeah. was good time from Sheik. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah. A, a crossover record, and that record was already a hit. So all you did was put rap rap on top of it, and it's, a, it's another hit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that kind of makes sense, I guess, when you play something more familiar. Because Curtis, I mean, as I said, he was big even in Africa, you know, with basketball, if I were the world, and, 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 and stuff like that. Yes. So, when you know you're big, you're crossing over across to even Africa. That that's that's yeah. big. So, you're, you're right, 100. percent And and you got to look back. Sorry about that. Back then, they didn't know they was going to cross over, but it did cross over. But Curtis Blow had came out at the right time because he came out with Christmas rap. 
and it was during Christmas time. So he caught the sales, he caught the attention and everything. That record was funky. Wow. So then that's when you thought, man, this could just really work. We just need to to get ourselves, get, you know, so. Get our foot in the door. Yeah, we need to get our foot in the door. And that's when I told you right after the group split up and I connected with Jalil and, and it went from there, and you know, Jalil and, and and X had connected with. They got a deal through Jive Records, and Jive Records, the owner Clive Davis, uh, um, Clive Cover was from uh, Africa, South Africa. Thanks for that. So, okay. So you, you so you you meet up with Jahil and X, and what was it about them that that you then thought this could work? How did you get? To, how did you know them? Well, I met him at the radio station. He was doing an intern for Mr. Magic. Okay. On, on the radio. He would answer the phone for him. And at that time, they worked on the demo for Mr. Magic. And Mr. Magic started playing it. And at that time, they had a DJ, but he had went into the military. And so they were looking for another DJ. Yeah. And, and um, the next thing you know, I just, I just went that way. Now, it, it's, I think people of this generation would probably wonder, the DJ isn't as prominent as it was back in the day, you know, where you, Grandmaster J or, or Spinderella or, or Grandmaster Flash was part of the clique. You know, it's, you know it's, even though two people might rap, the DJ was part of it. It's a lot changed now. So if you give an insight, when they brought you on as a DJ, what was your role as the DJ in a group where they're doing their best writing lyrics and, and rapping. At that time, they wasn't signing DJs as record deals with the rappers. You know, the rappers were coming with the deal first. Yeah. And uh, even though it was being part of the crew, I felt I was part of the crew from the beginning when, when the career first happened. But the, the two albums they did, they went overseas. They had did that without me because at the time I had just got married then way back in the 80s and I didn't make the first two albums. But Jalo, they knew I was down, so Jalo put my name on the album. Oh. Uh, one of the bonus tracks was Grandmaster D, instrumental. And um, and and we took it from there and um, you know, being part of it. And then when we went to sign with MCA, you know, um, I, I signed with MCA and signed with the thing with Jermaine, the other album with Jermaine Dupree. But as, as far as that, I was on the album cover for Back in Black and and um, I did Funky Beat. And that was one of the hot tracks too that I was involved with, with Larry Smith. And I want to give a, a big shout out to Larry Smith, may he rest in peace. Because yeah. he's responsible for all those big hits we had, and and got to give Jalo the credit for for incredible handwriting with the pen, yeah. writing all those lyrics, and you know all my hat goes off to him too. So you know, it, you know you hear people talk about rap and who did what, but a lot of times they tend to forget the writers and and um and the producers. Yeah, yeah, no, we we you know, Larry Smith was heavily involved in 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 your production and stuff, but in in those early days, so when when they got signed to Jive, um, they were the only two that put their name to pen to paper. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Mr. Mr. Magic was supposed to get the deal first because at that time they had the world's famous Supreme Team. The F- Supreme Team had a Supreme Team show on that same station, um, HBI. 
and they had that record they did with Mark and McClary, Buffalo okay. Girls. Yeah, okay, Buffalo. Yeah, so um, world famous Supreme Team show, Supreme Show. Hey, DJs. Yeah, so um, the next thing you know, um, Jive Records offer Magic a contract, and Magic was in the contract with the radio station, so he couldn't do it. So oh, he passed it on to Jalil. Okay. And Jalil was going to do it by himself, but he knew X didn't live that far from him, and, and he wanted X to join the clique. And he, he put X down and took him with him, and they, they recorded the album. Out in, in Germany, I believe, was it? No, in London, England. In London. Okay, Backstreet, they came. To, yeah, back to the studio in London. Okay, they came to the UK. Okay, to, to but do yeah, you talking about the one they did? They did the one with Thomas Dolby, and and they did one with Connie Planks. Okay, okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when they recorded the album, is it then? You know, I guess it's the shows, and that's where you sort of come in, in into full force with the the live performances and stuff like that. Yes. Um. At that time. The records were done, and we broke ground by doing shows in Europe. We did uh, the late '83. We went to Europe for three and a half months. Wow! We did, uh, yeah, we did England, Germany, Belgium, Paris, France, Switzerland, Munich, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, Holland, Berlin. Before they tore the wall down, we had to go around that wall. My goodness, what was it like? I mean, you think about it, you're coming from New York, Brooklyn, and and now you're you're out in Europe different environment, different culture, playing music to, I would assume, predominantly white audience? Uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. Never in a million years I would think this would happen. I'm thinking we're going we gonna to make records and stay right here in the States. I'm not thinking about Europe. And we at that time, we were touring Europe. The Hall of Notes were touring behind us, The Clash, um, wow. Grandmaster Flash, and then we're, we're out there, you know, Madonna, doing a German TV show with us out there. We saw so many groups that were coming, Devo. And um, it, it was the greatest feeling, and you know, the greatest feeling in the world, man. I mean, I would never change it for nothing. And, um, you know, the, the see the response, they don't speak our language, but to hear them go with the songs back and forth and chanting. And in London, they had the whistle posse where they blow the whistle. Yeah, yeah. When they feel it. Yeah, 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 man. It was, oh, man. Beautiful. I mean, we've been so many beautiful places, man. And like, just like Japan, going to Japan, you know, I remember as a kid watching Godzilla. Yeah. And, and watching <laughs> knock, knock the buildings down. And here I'm standing in front of this building. You know, the hotel and everything. <laughs> yeah, man. Paris, man, going to Paris and man, uh, beautiful. Beautiful. What did it do for you guys, your going to these, you know, being exposed to that? And then how did it affect the lyrics and, and the type of music you put out when you're exposed to that international market? Well, I looked at it like, um, I would say it sharpens your show. Because, you know, if you're in the States and you're performing in New York, you better not mess up. Yeah. Because everybody that knows hip hop is, can tell when it's a slip up. Yeah, so yeah. you can slip up for a while. We got three months to slip up in <laughs> Europe. But when we get back to the States, we better be polished and ready to go. Yeah. But, um, it was just the the the, um, the warm welcome they gave us, man, and the different technology of music, and you felt other music because I went to when being in London, I heard imports that I never heard in the states. Wow! So we, we got a chance to hear they they knew about beats, break beats. They might have heard it, but these groups were getting funky at that time, and they were making great songs. The lyrics was great. 
just when you, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, the Hall of Notes came out. They were great with, with their songs. And then it, it was, uh, um, what was his name? Grace Jones came out with, it felt like a go-go. Slay to the Rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, oh my God, that beat was hitting hard. And, and you know, then you hear um, another one, Bites the Dust. You yeah, hear yeah, that? Yeah, that yeah, was funky yeah, too. So, yeah, yeah. You're hearing Queen, you're hearing all these groups, but they felt like they was turning and crossing over to hip hop. They all wanted a funky beat and they saw Yeah, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So then, as a, as a DJ, were you then, um, would you then take ideas from all these things for yeah. your yeah, show? Yes. Yes, I would play some of them songs in, 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 in our show because at that time we might have had two songs that was out and then we had an album out. We only played a certain amount of songs that we would do, but we would make the, the, the show interesting because I would come out before the group come out and I'd do like 25 minutes or 20 minutes with all different songs. Man, and you got to take my hat off to Trevor Horn. Trevor Horn was an incredible yeah. producer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came out with some beats too. Oh man, funky. Wow. And, and Sly and Robbie. Sly and Robbie, too. Yeah. I mean, so... So when when, when you guys were... When you guys, you know, were signed and your records were, were hitting, was there any... I don't know. I won't say rivalry because I think, you know, in the 90s, you know, hip-hop went into a, sort of a dark place. Um, but back in those you days... You know, in the 90s. No, but we're going back to your time. Back in those days when you yeah, guys no. were coming out. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we can get into that. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, you got to look at it. We were on tour and we were signed to Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons became our manager. So we had a, a, a camp for, full of all the hottest rappers. We had uh, uh, Run DMC. We had Curtis Blow. We, we had, uh, um, I think Dana Dane wound up signing with Russell. We, we had so many, we had the Beastly Boys. We had we had uh, 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 um, LL Cool J. We had we had so many artists that was signed. Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde, yeah. and um, we had the top artists under Russ management. So Russell will take all our, all the groups we had and put us on tour. We had Jimmy Spicer, Super Rhymes. He would take and place us and, and, and do shows. All of us would wind up getting together and and say, let's do a tour together. As a matter of fact, it was called uh, um, the Fresh Fest, and you got to give the credit to Cedric Walker. He was out of Atlanta. He does the Universal Circus, and um, he came up to Russell with an idea, and he wanted to put it together, and it wound up being a tour called the Fresh Fest, and that was the first major rap tour. Wow! That that went around the world. So, so being on the camp with with LL and 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 Beastie and Ron DMC, so you guys became. It wasn't a, a rivalry. It was more of a like you know we're no, in this together. No, uh, um, you got to look at it. We had uh, I forgot Public Enemy. I got got to mention them. Public Enemy and Stetsasonic. They were on the tour too. And you know what? We we knew each group knew when they went on stage they had to kick ass because <laughs> you didn't want to look like you wasn't good. Yeah. So we was already polished because we was over overseas first. So yeah. we was ready for the tour. But um, other than night. Every group wanted to do better than the next group. Every group wanted to do. They wanted to come off stage and say, yo, we kicked ass tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, we used to go back and forth, run DMC and Houdini. We was always neck to neck. We could always say that. 
And yeah. then LL was like the new kid on the block when he came out with I Need Love and all that. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. a new kid. He was a young guy. So he was like a freshman coming in. But we all welcomed each other because we all was family because we was under the same management. And you got to look at, give credit to Cut Creator, LL Cool J, being on tour, all of us on tour, Eric B and Rakim. And um, we all stuck together as a family. Nobody could come do something to anybody or start something with us because we all was family. But um. Other than that, we used to always come and tease each other. Yo, we kicked ass tonight. We kicked ass. But it, it, was, it was always fun, man. Everybody had a good time. That that unity was so important because I knew right after us, different groups used to go on tour and they used to always be ready to fight each other. And I couldn't wow. understand that. If, if you making money and we making money, you should be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we yeah. want to make the tour last. We don't want no problems. All we want to do is do the show, get the money, and go home. <laughs> Now I, th I think the the, the the question that I that I have a lot of my odd viewers would would probably be wondering because we we're hearing a lot of the issues in the '90s with the with the labels, the contracts, publishing, management stealing money, and all that stuff. For you guys, what was it? Did did you guys go in knowing the business about you know being on contracts and royalties and publishing, and then also being on tour? Who's got our money and stuff? Because I think sometimes you can enjoy the show. Or forget that it's actually a business and, and no one looking out for you unless you look out for yourself. That's right. You know, at that time, you know, you 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 know, when you're fresh in the business and you got management and you you thinking positive and like you said, it's like you got to have today's time, you gotta have three people watching. You gotta have like two lawyers and management <laughs> and then you got then you and you gotta have a, a accountant that wow. you can trust. Because if you got it, we had an accountant, um, one of the top ones, Burke Fidel, and may he rest in peace. He was a good guy to me in, in my eyes. And, you know, my main thing is you always have to be on top of your game 24-7. Wow. It's like people should always said, and I used to wonder why they used to say that, but it was true. They said, today's game, you got to sign your own checks. Don't let nobody sign nothing for you. So, you know, you watch and you kept, you're putting money into a, a um and going into the booking agent, not the booking agent, but your accountant. You know, you got money on the road because you received the back end, but the upfront money is going straight to the, your accountant. And, you know, after a while, they're saying they paid for this, they paid for that, and you start seeing your money going downhill. Wow. Then you start waking up then, you know, and, you know, you can't go out there and just blow it. A lot of people are just blowing the money and thinking you're going to have another day tomorrow, and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So now the vice is get the money and and put it away for a rainy day. Yeah. So you did, but did the three of you learn early on how to make take care of, of things? Uh, you know, just more yeah. so because it's advice for upcoming people coming into the industry. Yeah, you know, we we learned and and a lot of things we did, I wouldn't take it for granted. I mean, I said the things that we did, we spent a lot. And you learn a lot. It's like going in, in, in a hotel, you're on the road and, and and you're in love and you're on the phone with your girl talking for so, so long on the phone and you go downstairs and see what your phone bill look like. Because <laughs> you went, you went, you went Switzerland and you look and you say, yo, but I only talk for a certain amount of time. Man, that thing was clicking. You, you talking about being home fit. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you live and you learn, you know, you go buy these fancy cars. And some people got two and three cars when you only need maybe two if the most. And then later on, you start seeing where your money went. 
Wow. You know, these guys today, they making so much money and I don't know how they can do it. They go in the script club and drop $60,000. And I'm like, you <laughs> out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to be crazy. Not me. Yeah, I, I heard Missy Elliott in an interview saying that she flies, um, she doesn't fly with a private jet because why waste the money? The plane's going to get there at the same time. You know, you just don't waste money. And, and she's a millionaire, but it's like, it can go as quickly as it comes if you start spending it. Yeah, for yeah, and you ain't paying attention, but you know it's it's hard to find honest people. But when you find them, you need to keep them in your circle. And yeah. like today's time, you know, back when we were rolling on the road like that on tour, we never got in trouble. And it makes me look at these guys; they're making so much millions, and they stay in trouble. Yeah, and you know they don't have they don't have the right people in their corner. You know. Yeah. So just going back then. So when the success of the group is, is going fine. How are your family, you know, family, mums and, and the rest of the family thinking about, you know, my goodness, he actually made it. What were their thoughts? Their thoughts were, they, they were very happy, but I remember a time when they didn't believe in it. A lot of parents that, that son or, or daughter was getting into it, they was like, that stuff ain't gonna work, that ain't gonna last. But uh, when that money started coming in, they started seeing it, they started smiling. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it's nothing better than being so proud of your kids when they're coming up and they're being successful. And the best feeling in the world is like going in the supermarket with my mom and we had the checkout counter and, and the cashier goes, you're, you're from that group. You're from that group. Can I get an autograph? And my mother starts smiling. And then one of the guys we went to a appliance store one day and she wanted to get a, um, a um, was it a microwave or something? And the guy says, he says, oh my God. He said, yo, he shook my hand. He says, your mom? I said, yeah. He shook my mom's hand. He said, told, told my mom, your son's an icon. He says, you don't even understand. I grew up on his music. <laughs> Next thing you know, he told my mom, I'm going to give you 30% off. <laughs> she smiled. Yeah. Wow, man, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, well, but did, did you always think you, you yes. were going to make it? I mean, did you did you always think you were going to make it? It, 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 was, it was shaky. It was always shaky. I get so close and then next thing you know, a door closed. I tried another one, that one closed, but then later on, it, it just came about. And you know, like they said, God works in mysterious ways. He just put it together and it, and it just happened. So, but I look at it and, you know, I give God the glory, but I also give the um, respect and credit to Jalo for adding me part of the group and ecstasy. You know, it was a tight, it was a tight group. We were tight. And um, I, I really felt in, in our career when it came to hitting that stage, nobody can touch our show. Yeah. I always felt that. What, 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 what was it like? Because we do hear so much about um, groups having, you know, as the fame goes, that they, they have issues and fall their separate ways. What kept you, the three of you guys together? And uh... Well, we, you know, we, 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 we stayed together for a long time. But, you know, you know being in the group, sometimes you, you're going to crash. You're going to crash. And, and what makes that happen sometimes, it could be something outside of the group. It could be a problem with the record company. You ain't doing this and ain't doing that. And, and the money ain't coming like it used to come. And then you start headbutting each other. And, you know, you're going through this. One person seeing, one, one, one person seeing this and the next person is seeing another way. And, it, and it's three. So all of us got three different personalities. But... Usually, to me, I always said at the end of the day, or we can argue all day, 
or let's just sit down and you, and you map it out. You got to look at the beginning. What made us? Yeah. And what kept us together? And, and then you look at you you go back and and and, and um, look and say what what got us this far? It was the unity. It was the unity. And, and that's why you don't let outsiders get involved. You know, when people see things going good, it's always something that sometimes it could be another group that want to destroy it because they, they see you progressing and you're doing so well and you're reaching your potential and your high level, they want to tear it down. It's outsiders who's not even in there. So I look at, we've been through ups and downs and, and you know what, it, it, it's always a blessing to, to see eye to eye, but... um. Some groups don't make it like that. But um, right now, I'm doing separate projects, but I'm always going to be part of Houdini. You know, no matter what you say, you, you like people will, will, might feel, well, y'all ain't together or this and that. But my thing is, you can't repeat history. Yeah. You know, once it's there and it's made, it's there. So yeah. my thing is now getting on that. It hurts me to my heart that we lost a partner. And he, to me, was a family member. You know, like I said, you might have to go through ups and downs, but he's always going to be my brother. And I, and I love them to death. But, you know, uh, my thing is now is we lost a good friend. We lost a family member. So what happens now is he would want our legacy to carry on. He wouldn't want us to stop. So my thing is now is I want to create some more music for Houdini, for, for us. And, 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 and let's not stop. Like I did an interview a while ago, as long as I got breath in my body, I should be able to record a record. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just to share the same thought about coming still with being able to release music under Houdini's banner. Um, I'm, I'm talking to him slowly and I, I want to keep his spirits up because he was really hurt behind it and I was too. And you know, we all grieve different and we all grieve different, but I, I still feel the pain, I feel the loss. Yeah. Which you know, I'll never get over it like that, you know. And um, and I, I know the happiness within X, and I know the happiness in, within Jalil, but I know what it's going to take us to get back in the studio. We have to be on the same page, yeah, and we have to see eye to eye. All right, we, we can we, we can make this happen again. We can, like they said, we can make the magic happen again yeah the magic back to magic yeah did um yeah, yeah. last year was was tough i mean I, I sadly i lost my dad um this the 4th of december um you know and, oh, and sorry my condolences yeah thank you so i it, it was really you know it's been really a lot of people close people you know a lot of people passed on and and there is that sense of do you honor the legacy by you know trying to do what you think they would they'd want to do and stuff um, so with that, with ecstasy, yes. it took a lot of people by surprise because it's still, still under, you know, still yes. under fifty-six or fifty-seven. Yes. So that's still very young and stuff. Um, but yes, yeah. But the the um, I mean, I was just trying to go back to where you guys were um, doing your, your shows, and you had records like um, One Love and, and Friends and Freeze Come Out at Night, which are crossing over to pop side. Mm -hmm. was that opening the doors for bigger shows and bigger headline stuff for you guys because yes. I... yeah yes it did you, you got to look at it because like i was saying earlier a lot of the groups were out back then a lot of the records were like underground you yeah. know 
it was the, the music that Larry created. It was like an orchestra almost, mm. but it was great feeling of the music. But like I said, the rappers were talking about themselves. Now you look at the greatness of Jalil, we're creating the chorus and the hooks and, and writing about something. Friends, how many of us have them? You yeah. gotta look at one love. So now rap is not underground where you can say, oh, they're just a bunch of jibber jibber jabber. <laughs> no, they are talking about something. Yeah. So yeah. we're grabbing the adults. We are grabbing the adults that probably would have said, no, I don't like that rap. Yeah. But I like Houdini because they're saying something. Yeah. So and the yeah. beach was funky and it was it was friendly. It was danceable. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. gotta look at the freaks coming out at night. Yeah. The, the hook stayed in your head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the hook there, was, yeah. Was yeah. I mean that's so what, that's what separated us. Yeah, but that's what a lot of hip hop separated us from the other groups. Yeah, um, that's what that's what hip hop started to do in the nineties, is they started to go on R and B tracks to cross over because if you if you go to the um to the to the mid early nineties or so, there was very much, you know, when you think of say Das Effect or Red Man and stuff, it was very new very hip hop stuff on the streets, but you're not you weren't crossing over. But when they started to mm -hmm. rap on, on you know, Jay Z, when they started rapping on R and B stuff, they started getting onto the radio, they started getting onto the mainstream, they started to become get on the charts, and that's where the money comes in. But you guys did that really first. I mean, well, Sugar Hill Gang and yes. stuff. But you guys in those early days realized if you make music for the masses, you get bigger doors that open up, bigger shows, um, and, and bigger, bigger, bigger paychecks. I would assume as well. Yes. Of all the, of all your tracks, which was your, which would you say would you, if you were to say number one, two, and three of the, all the ones you guys released, what would be number three? Oh. Uh, number three would probably be um, really all of them was hits. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I, I can't even hold back. I mean, I mean, Funky Beat was funky. Five Minutes of Funk was funky. Um, Friends was funky. I'm a whole was funky. Really, all the tracks were incredible. And One Love, One Love, uh, it was it was all incredible because all our albums we would come with full of hits. What was your favorite? That's then, what so we wanted. So what My was favorite was, you know, it had to be funky because I rapped on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But, but Friends is my greatest and One Love, too. You got to give One Love because it's all about love, man. It's all about bringing love to people and that good vibe. And, and Friends, yo, I mean, you can make any beat, but the lyrics got to match that beat. And Jalil yeah. was incredible yeah. with the pen. Yeah. He, he, he was incredible on writing, so... You know, he, he gave it to you. He gave it to you. And Larry Smith, you got to take your hat off to him. They always yeah. seem to leave Larry out, but I'm, I'm yeah. going to promote Larry every time I get a chance. Yeah. But you know what? And the reason I asked, because I did a poll yesterday, and I think I sent it to you, but it, it, it's about almost 2,000 people who responded. And I put down Friends, One Love, Freeze Come Out uh -huh. at Night, Five Minutes of Funk, yeah, and I seen it. One. And about 33% said Freaks Come Out at Night. So most people said that, followed yeah. closely by One Love. But it was hard. And then people yeah. mentioned Funky Beats and, and all the whole, all the songs that I couldn't, because I could only put five. Mm -hmm. And they were mentioning all this stuff. So, But what it shows is that you guys weren't just like a one-hit wonder. You know, you, you know, Sugar Hill Gang, I could think of one or two tracks. But you guys had 
variety, big, big bangers that everyone could just pick and, and stuff. And as I said, you guys became like a global band without, I don't, yeah, you mentioned going on tour, but as I said, you didn't come to Africa, I don't think. But you guys no, were big. And, yeah, and but you guys were big. That's, we yeah, I, I, I think. We, we would love to come to Africa. Yeah, but then when, when the 90s come, before you sign to Jermaine um, and the landscape changes it slightly, what happens to you guys? Because um, do you guys start to, does the, 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 the hip hop takes a very different stage and, and, and you guys. Turn. Yeah, it took a different turn because you had the Big Daddy Canes. You oh. had all these rappers coming out. Then and yeah. You had the Snoop Dogg. You had you had it was, it was a new breed. So now we had to find a good home, and we went to uh, MCA. We did the, the album with MCA Records, and they they didn't push it like they were supposed to. But later on, we we go do a single. Uh, Got to give credit to Chuck D from Public Enemy for reaching out to us and Terminator X, and we had, did it all come down to money, and that had we had a video for that, but, but it gave us a buzz, it gave us a buzz, and gave us a spark, and then that's when we went to Jermaine Dupri. Okay. And give him I, the credit for signing us too. Yeah, but did you then think you know if we can't get? Did you still think you guys could? Could Jahil? Did he still think he could still? Keep, you know, keep on pace with, 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 with what was happening, or what would you really think? We felt it, but we started feeling things slipping. You know, we didn't have that magic no more. It's just like a spark in the NBA player. Yeah. You know, when the magic slowed down, you, you know, we just, all we want to do is find a good home and, and, and keep it moving. Yeah. And, and try to create more hits, you know? So, I mean, because a lot of bands, when they when they lose their record deal, they 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 then tour based on their hits. Was that what did you guys then start thinking? Well, you know, if we can't start releasing stuff, we can still tour. Or what was what what what, what happened? Yeah, it was a blessing. It was a blessing with that because what happened after that was we got a, a call from Unsung, uh, um, P. Frank Wood. Gave me a call and reached out to me. But right before that, there's 2007, VH1 Hip Hop Honors yeah, gave I remember us a call. That. And on there from 2004 to 2005, I was going to see the other groups get on it. And one guy interviewed me and said, do you feel odd because they're not honoring y'all yet? But I told him, you know, it's not going in order. So I said, but when our time comes, it'll be the right time. But um, right after they called us and then when uh, um, Unsung gave me a call, that's what made me say, yeah, let's do this because that will give us some more leverage and, yeah. and keep us And that, that, that added a notch to us because right after we did Unsung, a lot of people started calling. And you got to think about it. We, we, we were the group that can tour with anybody. We could tour with rap groups or we could tour with R&B groups. We are yeah. doing shows with Cameo, Midnight Star, Climax. We were doing shows with... Uh, um, uh, what was their name? Uh, um, Ohio players, Blue Magic. Wow. You know, we, we fit right in there, you know, because we had the R&B feel. Yeah, and yeah. And with Heat Wave, too. Ooh, wow. Yeah, I mean, as I said, you, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, you guys had major hits and, and you it just said being able to tour Europe really opens you up to a variety of music. 
I mean, going forward, then, I mean, you said you've got other things going on. I mean, if, what 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 can people expect to hear from you? Um. Well, right now I've got a single out with a good friend of mine. We've been friends for over 45 years. He used to rap with my brother. The name of their group was Below and Double O. And I lost my brother like four years ago through cancer. And um, may he rest in peace, you know. And um, his partner contacted me and asked me, do I want to do a single? And I once I once I heard the track, I said, yo, it's a hit. It's a hit. So I got on it with him and we got it out. We just finished the video. His name is Abu Valor. And um, it's called Time for a New Rap Style. Okay. And um, it, it's out. It's out on all platforms of, of Sony Orchard. And um, Who Mad TV is help promoting it, you know, but it's Sony Orchard. And um, it, 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 it's, it's hitting. And, you know, um, we're not stopping. I've got different groups I'm going to work with and um, different artists. I just, I just want to create something that I always wanted to do. Like even all the old groups from back in the 70s, I always yeah. wanted to do with those type of groups, you know, because I can feel it. And I know that, that type of music, even the disco music, it should never die because it still sounds good today. Yeah. But then are, are you are you doing what Larry used to do more as a producer now? I'm, I'm getting involved with a lot of things. And I have a guy that lays the tracks and I, I just give him the ideas and we roll with it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And peace to uh, Mark Boogie Brown. Okay. So, do, do you think you know there's a possibility, you know, you know, when things settle down, that we might see Houdini back on the road, where if when concerts are around, or in some form, or would you then find yourself as Grandmaster D featuring somebody else on the road? What What, what do you think? I really feel now that stuff that I always wanted to do that I didn't do, I'm trying to do it now, pursue this career as, as, as putting out records and with different people, different artists. But, you know, my home is always going to be part of Houdini. And um, I feel that um, if we're on the same page, me and Jalo can do something. If we're on the same page, we got to be on the same page. And, we, you know, by being on the same page, it's like, yo, you get to writing and, and, and I get to creating the songs and you can help create it with me. And um, not only that, I just I just want to put out good music and good lyrics. And, um, you know, even for the groups that are out there looking for a, a label deal or something, you know, because um, we got distribution behind us and um, oh. I just don't want to stop. I love, I love music. I, yeah. I take that to my heart. Now I, I, I always love being in the group Houdini, and they can't take that away from me. You know, we're part of history. We are icons, and we yeah. are legends. Definitely. And I really felt that even back in the days, we never got that credit that we deserved. And right now, I feel like Houdini should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a long time ago. And I, I think it's time. And we should have got a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Grammys. But when we were out with friends and all that, they didn't have no category for rap. Yeah. So now you got it. You need to give us our just do. No, definitely, and I, and I think that's 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 the um, the shame where we we think about you know yourselves, Curtis Blow, Sugar Hill Gang, uh, Grandmaster, people who paved the way. Hip hop is now probably the you know the yeah. biggest selling form of yeah. music, and 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 but they don't remember, they don't sort of go back and remember the past and stuff. Um, but definitely, yeah, we're you, rock and roll. You, 
you're definitely right. And um, I always feel it's time. I mean, it's the right time to always do this. You always take your hat off and always give credit to those people like the Grandmaster Flash and, and the Furious Five and the Cold Crush Brothers and, and the Fantastic Romantic Five, the Funky Four plus one more, Africa Bambata. All those brothers, Grand Wizard Theodore, Breakout in the Baron. All those DJs and MCs that came before us, they need to get their just due. They need to get their respect they deserve because it wasn't for them, it would be no us. Yeah. And that's why I hope them out. Yeah, and I would hope I would hope it's you know if VH1 you know we have to give credit back in the, when you know they started this stuff and you know and did the, the honors and stuff. You'd hope Soul Train or BET would would push, and then they also try and get it, um, try and get the Grammys, American Music Award, all all of them. Yeah, and they need to give Mr. Magic a Lifetime Achievement Award for breaking the the grounds for rap on radio, and um. I'm going to shout out two partners that I knew that was good and they were big in the DJ world. Uh, DJ Lance out of Brooklyn, AKA Master D from Brooklyn and, and Tommy Allen, yeah. another good brother. Both of them passed away. Um, may they rest in peace, man. But um, I also want to shout them out. Well, yeah, I definitely have to appreciate you coming on because I guess it's going to be interesting for, you know, when people watch and listen to, to start to say yes, whether it's done a petition or stuff, but to start to say, hey, you know, because we try and reflect back on 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 the old, on the groups, um, a, a lot of you know DJ Cassidy did a lot with the um, Pastor Mike and really tried yeah, to honour, uh, but he didn't go back far enough to the seventies, <laughs> and then, no, but but he, he he kind of kept it within uh, within a range, but in a way they're trying to say, look. Before we got to where we are now, there were people who paved the way and stuff. And you know, hopefully, we will get more of that. And hopefully, you guys could, could, could connect and do your own sort of thing. You know, I remember Keras um, One did his um, "Stop the Violence" movement, got all these people together yes. to, to to do that something. And, and, and it may be something that you guys could try and connect. You know, or um, and you know, do do a collective sort of old school collective. Uh, spitting a verse and stuff like that, which in itself will, will, will generate a massive buzz. Thanks for watching. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, but most importantly, to press the notification bell so that you can be notified when we do have a new interview. Loads to come, but thanks a lot for watching. Mm -hmm.